This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anson. Hello, Charlie Clawson. How are you? This is a very, like, sexy after-hours TOEFOP. Like, we've been recording a lot in the morning and during the day, different dynamic. But this is like old-school TOEFOP, where the sun's gone down, everyone's asleep, the lighting is very, very flattering to both of us. You're virtually in witness protection. I can just make out the reflection in your glasses. I have a china ball hanging over me. Only backlit in my office. That's the problem with the lights. Like, apparently to do good video calls, you have to be uh, lit from the front. And uh, I don't really have a light that yes, goes from the front. So, uh, yes, I am like one of those people who's giving evidence on a current affair or something. And they've just put me in the corner of the yeah. distorted my voice. That, imagine if that's, I was like, I'm happy to keep doing TOEFOP, but I've had to listen to some back episodes and they're bad for my reputation. And so from now on, I'm going to do it in the darkness and you're going to have to distort my voice for every episode. I wonder if someone played me, without giving me warning, a clip of you distorted, just your audio. If I could pick up it was you from your choice of words and your syncopation and all that kind of stuff, I reckon I might be able to, depending on what we were talking about. Maybe if it was like, you know, some kind of like pre-prepared statement, but if it was just conversational, I reckon if it was like, if it was a game show, guess who this caller is? <laughs> In fact, Will, I've got a great idea for a podcast. Yeah. Okay. So if the, so if, yeah. Okay. So if the, that's the contest, right? And you're allowed to ask yeah. me three questions. So three questions, and I can answer them, and you have to see if you can work out whether it's me or not. So what what are your three questions? I think it would have to be, it would have to be stuff that I reckon you, you you. What are your tells? I mean, bulldogs would have to be one. That would be a great way to sniff it out because if if the premise is that three of my friends are going to call and I don't know who it is, I can also ask questions to triangulate, right? You guys are going to lie. You can all, You don't have to tell the truth, but I reckon I could catch out someone else on some Bulldogs trivia. Okay, okay, that's great. Okay, we'll ask your first question okay. then and we'll see how it goes. Uh, who won the Bulldogs best and fairest in 2010. Do you think you would know it was me? The fact that you went into some tangent about a dog show would go, yes, I, I do a podcast. I've done almost 300 episodes of a podcast with a guy who would quite readily go into some tangent about a dog show when I'm asking about a football team. That would, that's, that's a dead giveaway. Oh, damn it. Okay, question two. Okay. Say I've got through question one. What's question two? You, you, you okay. think it's me, but you're not, you're not um, entirely certain. So you've got a second question. Okay. Um, all right. So the second question would be... Uh, um, how do you feel about the films of Christopher Nolan? Christopher Nolan is a very impressive film. I particularly love his films where he goes to space. I love films about space. <laughs> All right. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> you're throwing me. I mean, that's good. I actually realized after asking that question, I once... Uh, I had a conversation with Justin Hamilton where he told me it was like a half an hour story about how he predetermined that he was going to love the movie Interstellar. And even though it was mixed with, met with mixed reviews and people told him it wasn't that great, he insisted that he loved it. He loved it before it was made, he laughed it while it was being made, and he laughed it, loved it after it was being made. So I may have dug myself into a hole there because I might think you're Justin Hamilton. 
Yeah, particularly because I don't like space films. That was my clever way to put the... I was handballing it over to Justin. I was like, I'm going to give his... Uh, I, I saw Interstellar at the movies 11 times. Can I make one, one request? If this show is in like this, that's the pilot episode we've done. We've shown that to the network. They've come back with notes. <laughs> the notes is when you distort the voice... <laughs> what do you think the notes are? When you distort the voice, can you not like... <laughs> I understand you doing that when you do. Can you talk normally and do that? Because you're talking like a robot, and I think that makes it harder to grasp. Like, distort your voice, but still use your normal speaking voice. Don't become a robot. Okay, so, all right, so use my normal speaking voice. It's so obvious who it is the pitch, the tone, everything. Oh, you try. Okay, you ask me a question. I'll see if I can just throw you. Okay. Uh, contestant number one. How many eggs could you hold in your hands? Well, that's an interesting question. There's actually once a footballer named Stuart Lowe, and he could hold 24 eggs in his hands. Charlie! It's Charlie! <laughs> this is a dumb game show. <laughs> Uh, oh man um, that was good good yeah. start have, have you watched any game shows when was the last time you watched a game show what was the last thing that would qualify as a game show that you watched uh, so that doesn't include like reality like reality shows like um, hustle and rhythm and rhythm and flow or anything like that that's like you mean like an actual there's a panel and scores and someone reads out questions or something yeah some, yeah, some sort of like, you know, quiz show or like a deal or no deal or who wants to be a millionaire or the only maybe a Spicks and Specs or... Mm. <laughs> That's right, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to groan on Spicks and Specs. <laughs> don't, don't misinterpret that. I just mean that show sucked. Um, <laughs> uh, Adam Hills. Uh, I think, <laughs> look, I can't remember. I, I, I was way into the sale of the century when that was on and Wheel of Fortune, but I can't remember the last time I watched a game show. Even when I was working at Seven where they would film Deal or No Deal next door, I don't think I ever, I've ever seen a full episode of Deal or No Deal. I'd see the Deal or Deal No Girls hanging out in the cafeteria. Do you understand what the concept of Deal or No Deal was? I'll, I'll, uh, is it well? Look, this is what do you imagine? What do you like, imagine the TV show Deal or No Deal was based on what you can remember? Okay, this is my impression, and I'm not sure if this is right, but it starts off yeah. with one of the contestants wins an amount of money, and I don't know how they get that. Whether that's luck of the draw or they answer a question, but they're given an amount of money, and then they can either keep the money they have or go for a suitcase. Is that how it works? Uh, kind of. There's like they they get a certain amount of guesses of people's suitcases in the audience, and at each part there's sort of levels that they get to, where yeah, because they might be just be winning fifty dollars, they might be winning a hundred dollars. There's but there's all sorts of ranges of uh, amounts of money in the suitcases, and they've got only so many guesses. And at different levels, there's a, like a cash out option basically, where the you know the kind of hidden voice, the voice of God, will be like. All right, you can have guaranteed right now if you, you call it a day, we'll give you this much, or you can keep going on your deal or no deal. I can't remember how it is that you crash out, but there is some way, obviously, that you crash out. I, so is the audience – so how does the game start? Is the audience standing there on that podium just holding the suitcase, or do they come up at some point during the game? No, some of them are friends and family. So someone just gets picked out of the audience, I, th I believe, to become the – the guesser, right? And then everybody else stands in the audience with a suitcase. They've got a suitcase in front of them, and they don't know how much money is in it. Okay, and so, but don't they often? They often say something like they'll say to the the audience person, like, "What do you reckon?" He's like, "Oh, I reckon it's a blah blah blah." Like they've got some pre prepared line, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, because they're trying, they're trying to build some high stakes in you just guessing what the number is in their box that no one could possibly know. So you have a little banter where the person's like, "Oh, I'm feeling lucky. This is the ten thousand. and 
<laughs> so if you guess what's in your suitcase, you win $1,000. There you go. If you guess what's in your suitcase. Right. Because you've got a suitcase as well. That's right. Everybody in the audience has a suitcase. You yourself also have a suitcase. You might even have the top prize in your suitcase, but you're trying to find the top prize. Where's their suitcase? Are they, are they holding it? I don't... This Look, the more we're talking about, the less I'm understanding. So... <laughs> Everyone's got a suitcase. Is the entire because isn't there two audiences? There's suitcase audience. Well, there's suitcase con- they're not contestants. Suitcase suitcase holders. Yeah. Then there's the captive audience watching. Then there's like three contestants. No, the captive audience are also the suitcase holders. So you go into a, an episode of Deal and Ideal, and everyone's well, I don't know if everyone, but a substantial amount of people are handed a suitcase right. with varying amounts of money, what, in as it, including the person who ends up uh, playing deal. So, as it. they walk into the studio to take their seats, each one of them is handed a metal suitcase yeah. with a number on it. Yeah, well, it's probably under their seat. You probably get to your seat. There are twenty-six suitcases. The contestant chooses one. The rest have the other twenty-five. Okay, right. So there's only twenty-six people in the audience. So you're, one of them's picked from the audience, and he goes down, and he or she goes down. Yeah, but and what they I'm saying, person who what is I'm saying is, isn't there suitcase holders? But then there's people in seats like cheering and clapping as well. There's two sort of the audience is in two parts, right? Or is it all? The- well, I guess they probably only yeah they probably don't just have they probably don't just have twenty six people booked because I do a TV show that has a free audience and we have an audience of about 250 and every week that audience varies between somewhere between 20 and 60 people depending on whether people turn up or not so if your entire game relied on you having 25 suitcases you needed 26 people you would have to book at least 50 I would imagine yes can I just say for people listening, our producer, Podcast Mike, is furiously like updating his text, like clearly understands the game, clearly is a fan. He's just been feeding facts to us and stuff. So uh, I apologize, Mike. I must be very frustrating uh, listening to us talk about it. So can we, just, can we just recap the information that Mike has supplied us with? Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. So, okay, you... He says, if you guess what's in your suitcase, you can win $1,000. There are 26 suitcases. The contestant chooses one. The rest have the other 25. Right. Okay. Basically, each of the 26 people has potential to be the contestant, but only one of them gets chosen. Right. We've established that. There's 26 possible contestants, all with suitcases. But what I'm saying is there an audience watching those 26 people cheering and creating atmosphere? Yes. But also the people with the suitcases cheer and create atmosphere as well. You have two tiers of audience, I guess. You have the audience who are suitcaseless. You have an audience that has suitcases but are not the contestant. And then you have the top tier, which is the contestant themselves. So they're creating a class division. They are the suitcases and the suitcases have not. Well, yeah. So if it's like that, then there's probably a thousand people in the audience without suitcases. There's 25 (laughs) with suitcases. And there's only one who has the potential to get all of the money. Yep, that's capitalism. That's how a society's set up. (laughs) They must have some audition process though, right? Like some can people just want to want to be there and watch the show. Like you'd have to sign up and say, "Yes, I want to be a I want to be a suitcase person," right? Are you suggesting to me that there are people who go to be in the audience of Deal or No Deal who just want to see it live? They they don't want to be involved in the game. They don't want to have the possibility to win themselves some money by holding a suitcase. They are just such big fans of the television program Deal or No Deal that they want to see it live in person. I just want to stare at those people with those suitcases and and have my own guess live of what's inside them. Dude, there's people who go in to watch like the what's that ten, the the early edition? What's that show on Channel Ten? The daytime show. There's there's an audience there to watch that. I've seen them. They're yeah, real. They're they're against they're yeah, but they're there against their will. <laughs> Many of those people don't know where they are. Many of them have just been bust in. Some of them don't have homes to go back to. Some of them just live at Channel Ten and they keep them to just shuffle them into audiences to top them it up. It did feel very dystopian. It's like something from a Terry Gilliam film, some kind of satire on like how we mistreat our elderly. It's like we just once you reach a use by date, you just get wheeled into studio audiences of daytime talk shows. <laughs> How would you do a satire, though, these days? How oh. would you do a dystopian future? Because I was watching the news this afternoon, watching that this is Monday, when we're Monday, June the 1st, when we were talking to each other. And uh, I say that only because things are moving at such a rapid rate when it comes to the terrible things that are happening worldwide that, you know, you can say something today and two days later it's completely irrelevant. But um, we were watching the news tonight and you're watching all those terrible riots out of the U.S., 
and there's a news reporter with you know a mask on doing her report on the news with behind her all this footage of like you know police smashing into people and people lighting mm. things on fire and looting and you're like this is the opening scene of an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie yeah yeah it literally is that's how Running Man starts and uh, he plays a, a a cop who guns down a bunch of people from a helicopter so there is I mean you could show that right. opening clip on the news and it wouldn't feel that out of place. It's just accelerated so quickly that there is a possibility that we may see Running Man by the end of 2020. 2020, we might look back on as the year we got Running Man. It's the year that you just are not surprised. It's like having a friend who's just fucking always like, you know, it's like train spotting. You're friends with one of the good, you're friends with fucking Begbie or Spud from train spotting. And it's like, look, things might be going okay, but this year. Is this going to get back on smack? They're going to start stealing again. Begby's going to glass someone in the pub. I'm only saying this because I watched Train Spotting last night, but uh, that's what it feels like. It's just like everything. What just just lay the bad news on me because it just keeps getting more and more horrific. Yeah, you you thought that was rock bottom? Oh no, I've got some rock bottom up my sleeve. Don't you worry about this. You'll look back on this as the good old days. I actually contemplated uh, taking Twitter back off my phone today because I was getting sucked into so much of that horrific uh, uh, news footage of violence and uh, and just the anger and the injustice of it all. And it was really like, I had to, I was minding um, uh, Iona all day today and it was a fairly, it's a big step up because I've done it before where Jem's been working and I'll take care of her during the day. But that was when she was a baby where babies are quite easy. You just need to feed them a bottle and make sure they sleep. But now she's eating solids and she's more mobile and stuff. So all of my attention was on that. But I was also aware that my attention was getting sucked back into my phone to look at more horrific news footage. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't do my job as a dad and also have my head filled with this because it was giving me anxiety. Oh, well, of course it would be because you think if this is now, what's next? Because this is the moment mm. traditionally where regardless of what you think of various politicians, it's a politician's job to stand up and start to bring their country back together and start the healing process and look for ways forward. But at the moment, there's no one in charge. Like America is on fire. Mm. It is. I mean, this has been coming for a very long time, but now it is literally on fire. And everybody who's gotten a grievance has just been sitting around in their apartment for two months getting angry about everything. And now it's all just exploding. And I don't know who's going to put out the fucking fire. Yeah. Well, it feels like it is a metaphorical version of our literal bushfires over summer. I mean, everyone saw it coming. There was plenty of warnings, you know, politicians ignoring it, no one getting up and saying the right thing or calling for calm, just allowing it to happen. And then it's just fucking out of control. And before you know it, we just get used to living with fucking smoke, you know, smoke in the city. We start wearing masks way before COVID-19 and then this happens and it's like, well, this makes sense, you know, this whatever started or well, whatever felt like it started six months ago, it's now everywhere in every kind of facet of existence and reality. You just think at the moment though, it's fucking June. We haven't even passed the, we haven't even got to the uh, end of financial year sales, Charlie. We haven't even celebrated EFIS yet. We're halfway through the fucking year. Like, what, what's going to happen in the second half? It's weird, though, like, to be, like, I think a lot of us, especially, you know, on this show, we joked, you know, about the apocalypse and things fucking going to shit. And, you know, of course, everyone's contemplated that kind of stuff before, but to actually be in the middle of it, <laughs> it's so strange. Like,. <laughs> You know, I just, I don't know what I thought the end of the world was going to be, but I, I didn't realize it was going to have so many chapters. <laughs> like, I don't like reading. <laughs> Can we just skip to the end? It really does feel like we're fucking, we are really binging the end of the world. Let's space it out over some, let's just drop a couple of episodes every fortnight. <laughs> yeah, that's let's, right. I mean, I don't want to do it all at once. Yeah. Yeah, where the where the show or the movie that doesn't know what it wants to be. So there's a bit of action, there's a bit of horror, there's a bit of screwball comedy. We're just fucking throwing everything into it right now. But it's all horror. You like this? What else? What else do you like? Yeah, more horror? Yeah. No, yeah, that's what we are. We're a fucking torture porn horror movie. Like we're one of those movies that, you know, literally at the moment, it just feels like it's going from disaster to disaster. But I think we also have been spoiled well, look, I'm speaking as a, a white, you know, straight white male, but, you know, life has been fairly stable for people in my demographic for quite a long time and you just get 
lulled into a false sense of, well, if it's good for me, it's good for everyone. But if you only have to think back like 70 years, I mean, if you think about my grandmother and probably your grandparents' generation, just come out of the First World War, oh, geez, that was horrible. No, Great Depression, oh, that fucking sucked. Oh, Spanish flu, okay, that can fuck off as well. Oh, we're out of that. Oh, then now this guy in Germany's gone fuck him down as that goes on. So we had a pretty stable period in the West at least. But now like this is kind of not, I guess it's just we, we've been lucky or spoiled or just heads in the sand, I don't know. I mean, and the other thing is, it's been a couple of months for us. You know, those things that you talk about that our ancestors had to deal with, often they were like five years. Can you imagine if this goes on for five years? Like some version of what's happening, just constantly, you know, you know, deaths and riots and pandemic. If it went on for five years, what the state of this fucking planet would be like? <laughs> No, we couldn't go two months without fucking protesting and accusing people of mind control. <laughs> We're like the fucking Simpsons. Like, The Simpsons has never felt more accurate or relevant than it has right now. Like, the way they spoofed mob mentality and the tendency of human beings as a collective to go to the most impulsive, dumbest reaction, they're right. <laughs> like, they nailed it 100%. There is something about the mob that is, I mean, clearly, you know, it's been studied and scientifically proven that there is such a thing as mob mentality. But it, when you see it, you know, on both sides, on all sides, you know, in all directions, because, you know, mobs form in various different ways. But when you see them form, that power of the mob over the power of the individual is, um, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? I say power. Yeah. That power is pretty powerful. That was, you know, really great <laughs> use of English. <laughs> You've had all this time to fucking read, dude. What are you doing? I'm going to buy you a thesaurus. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think social media is, you know, obviously that's uh, has, has inflamed that because mobs can gather anywhere virtually now. And it's uh, it's just hard because I know that I, I, I can, I should just not look. I should know I should just like, don't, don't, don't check it. Just don't go on. But... You can't help it. Like you feel like you need to be part of the moment and be aware of what's going on. But I don't trust myself to just fucking get the facts. I then go down rabbit holes and, you know, just get, get sucked into the, the drama and, and the panic and the fear of it all. Um, okay. So uh, what was the last game show you saw then? Let's talk about something more fun. <laughs> If it wasn't Deal or No Deal, what do you actually think the last game show you saw was? <laughs> the last game show was called Who's Gonna Die First? It's a, just been pitched to Netflix. Um, yeah, that was a little dark. Apologies, everyone. Sorry, I'm, I'm very tired. I'm very tired. No, I, I hear you. It's hard not to be that dark about it all at the moment. It's just, you know, I was looking at photos of just down the corner from where I lived in America for nearly 10 years and it, you know, being on fire That's and police crazy. riots down the end of the street. And I couldn't help but, like, you shouldn't have to have a personal experience of those things to be able to see those issues and, you know, uh, have empathy and, you know, fear and love and compassion and all those things for those people. But when I literally look at, oh, man, I would walk there, you know, past that place like two, three times a week and it's on fire and police are, you know, running their cars through protesters. It's... It's, uh, yeah, of course, it's horribly alarming. But isn't, and that's the, the, the crazy thing. And look, we will get off this, but this started in response to evidence of police brutality. So you just would think that the directive from every police department would be hey, guys, there is a, a perception that we are too violent and aggressive. Uh, so let's just make this is the, the best PR uh, opportunity we'll ever have to show that we can be compassionate and patient. And so let's just fucking drive a foil drive through a crowd of people or like cold cock people or it's just, it's, it's crazy. It, it, oh, oh yeah. hang on guys. I'm oh, sorry. Is this anti-police brutality? This, uh, oh, sorry. We, sorry. We misread the uh, posters. We saw police brutality. We, we actually thought we were joining in. We're on your side. Sorry we mowed you all down in our car. It's just, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it makes your head spin. It's also too, because. It's making me question my relationship with the police and I've never had a particularly bad experience or interaction with police. And again, you know, there's obvious reasons probably why, why that, that's occurred. But, you know, the, all of this does is just suddenly make me question, well, 
am I being ignorant? Is that going on here? Like, do I, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 it's really full on. I, I mean, I obviously was arrested and, uh, every lawyer I I spoke to said that you shouldn't trust the police. Like every single one of them was just like, sorry, you just got to be practical about this. You should not be trusting the police. My personal experience with the police was pleasant. They were kind to me, I think, or at least not overly kind, but I just mean it felt like it was a respectful professional procedure, but you know, I'm a, you know, well, formerly employed uh, white middle-aged man in Australia, you know, who's also like a a well-known person, of course you're going to get the best possible treatment in that scenario. And I would talk about that, the difference between that and what that experience might be like for, you know, say an Indigenous person in Australia in my show because I talked about how confronting it was and how much of it I fucked up and I was getting the best possible experience of it. If you were someone yeah. who was intentionally being made to feel uncomfortable or confused, it would be so easy to feel uncomfortable or confused or be persecuted or be turned around in circles or be suddenly put in a situation where you have absolutely no control and it would be absolutely terrifying. I mean, I do remember when I... Uh, did blue healers i did like five days training with the police and i I did have the striking impression that they sent me out with a couple of constables i think one senior and just one regular constable and at first these guys were like so like oh we're gonna babysit the fucking prima donna actor and then because i just started chatting to them i started they started getting off on like giving me kind of war stories and stuff and then talking about wanting to see some action and apologizing because there was nothing happening and i was like i don't want to see any action like this is fine i'm just here to observe and then um there was a call because an old guy uh, was on his front lawn waving a knife around and so they pulled up and a department of health services was there and an ambulance was there and a neighbor came out and said oh this guy's elderly he has dementia um, you know, we're just, we're more worried he's going to hurt himself. We're not worried, but he was out waving. He had this little carving knife. He's standing on the front lawn. And so the cops like, great, you know, we'll take care of it and put the, the rubber gloves on and went to the guy's front door. And he was ranting, obviously, um, you know, in, in a state of distress. And he was ranting about how someone had, having taken his money or something. And so the cops, he wouldn't let the cops in. And so they asked him to go get proof that it was his house. And so he uh, walked off and they cut, his door open, the flywire of his door open and, and opened the lock. And when he came back out, they fucking gang tackled him to the ground. And I'm, this guy looked like Mr. Burns. Like he was not a sizable, robust dude. He was like very old and very fragile. But these guys had all day, they'd been waiting for something to happen and they just fucking went for it. And then we got back in the car and they were buzzing. Like they, look, they didn't, it was way too much. The guy was okay. He got to the ambulance and stuff, but it was unnecessary. Like they did not need to crash tackle this guy to the ground. He wasn't like threatening anyone. He was old, but I could sense getting in the car. And then the rest of the time I spent with the, the police academy, as I met detectives and further up the line, I'm like, oh yeah, if you're actually smart and compassionate and got intelligence, you tend to move up the ranks into sort of different roles. But to the guys on the ground level, because if you meet a a cop who's like middle-aged and he's still a constable or a senior constable, you've got to ask why. If he's been in the force for 20 years, why hasn't he advanced? Because there's plenty of opportunity. There's lots of areas they can move into. And I think it's because some of them generally just like being bullies, you know, and going out and, and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I think that part of, you know, a police force itself and the idea of rules and needing to enforce rules, like I don't think that all cops are terrible, but I think that the system under which they work can often be systematically terrible and you know minority groups can be targeted and it might not be that you yourself you know go into the police force going i'm going to be the person who goes and you know uh kicks in the door of all the muslim guys out in western sydney or i'm going to be the you know the cop who's responsible for the you know blah 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 but the actual system itself you know the institutionalized system and who it targets i mean you look at western australia where you know, the percentage of their prisons that are filled with Indigenous people versus the percentage of their population that is actually Indigenous is so completely and utterly out of whack that you can only believe one or one of two options. It can only be one of two things, which is you firstly have to believe the absolute worst thing, which is that Indigenous people are just inherently criminals. 
right? To have those numbers in that way that it's represented, you have to just go, Indigenous people are just criminals. They have no other option to be criminals. They are born criminals, and that's why there's so many in prison. Or you've got to say that our society and the justice system are set up to target them in a way that is completely out of proportion for the percentage of them who live in our country. And it's got to be the second one. You know, that's uh, and it's as simple as that. The fact that there are so many of them there says two things about our country. One is that, you know, that in, they are in disadvantaged situations because of the institutionalised racism and you know, prejudice in our country and the fact that we've never reconciled with the original people, the First Nations people. And then secondly, that the police force is used to actually reinforce that. I'm not sure. Can you hear what's going on outside? Can you hear that jackhammer? <laughs> Can you hear that? Well, yeah. What what I love is it's 8.08 at night. Who the fuck is jackhammering out in your street? You wonder why I'm a grumpy old man. You wonder why I'm often fucking going out and yelling at people. Friday night, no, Thursday night I was in the office working and my office is not far from my where I live. It was 8 o'clock at night and I hear a fucking like bandsaw like... <laughs> going i go outside and there's two guys in like high-vis vests like cutting up concrete eight o'clock at night and i'm like fucking dudes what are you doing it's you can't do this kind of work after 7 p.m my fucking baby's asleep up there and they're like oh we're with telstra i'm like i don't give a fuck like you can't do that and like i oh, know we've, we've we sent out letters and we told people we're going to be doing night work here i'm like you no know letter was sent you can't fucking do anyway Whole, I wasn't the only one in this case. The entire like neighborhood descended and basically chased Telstra out of the neighborhood. Also, you, also, you're Telstra. Fucking send us an email or call us. You've got the equipment <laughs> at the office. You don't have to send a fucking letter. You don't need to get Australia Post involved in this fucking process. Uh, these guys, although it's uh, annoying now, this is actually will help lessen my anger as a grumpy old man because they're installing speed bumps um, outside our building, which... As you know, Will, one of my, uh, my, uh, my things I hate the most are the uh, weekend warriors who ride their motorbikes up and down the street. So hopefully this will deter those sons of anarchy. Well, other, uh, or they've just now got cool ramps to do like monos and shit. <laughs> Stunts. <laughs> so not only are they roaring past the street, but I have to look out my window and see them doing like cool backflips and <laughs> sweet ass half airs and... The crusty demons of dirt decide to ride past my apartment. <laughs> I, this is what I love the most is um, we were already struggling a little bit. The Skype call tonight has been in and out. It's been one of those ones where uh, we, we, get, we get the start of the sentence, then a really quick bit in the middle, and then you have to get to the end of the sentence and guess what the sentence was actually about. So this is what the podcast has been. Out my window, there's a thunderstorm has suddenly kicked in. So there's like literally really loud thunder and you've got a jackhammer in the background. So this is really against the conditions. The funny thing is, Liz, that con the connection had just cleaned up just in time for us to hear each other's noisy background noise. <laughs> It'll be the clearest sounding uh, part of the show yet. Yeah, um, look, I... I, I it, Hopefully that's not too annoying. I'm hoping podcast Mike can do something to lower the sound of that. Uh, it might only be uh, annoying to me. I'm getting a text from my wife as well saying, oh my God, can you hear that? <laughs> yes. And now there's, now there's a, a police car going past the sirens. <laughs> I'm not even fucking joking. Will, did you hear? A police car just went past with the sirens. <laughs> and it could not get any fucking louder. Oh, Really? There was a police yeah. car in your street. It's, uh, yeah, this is insane. All right. I mean, it's probably worse for me than it is for, for you guys, but uh, we'll persevere. It, to people listening, it may sound like I'm exaggerating, but the building I'm in is actually shaking. <laughs> it is so loud right now. I mean, you would have thought that 8.14 p.m. was a good time to actually get a podcast done, though. But yet, the gods of thunder are outside my window and uh, the, uh, the jackhammer's outside yours. So anyway, that's good. It's fine, mate. It, it shows that, like everyone in the world, we're struggling too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my do you think it's because you live uh, in Chris Hemsworth's neighbourhood now that the weather does change so dramatically? Does, do you think people stop him on the street and complain about, like, thunder and lightning? I live in his house. In fact, that's how big his house is. <laughs> My house is actually inside his house. 
It's just a wing in his house. No, I, I think that's why tonight he's obviously having an argument with the kids or something, and that's why the thunderstorms rolled in. So before Chris moved to Byron, Byron was like famous for Paul Hogan, and, and was there an intermediary celeb who kind of, you know, that, that was then hood between Hogs and Chris Hemsworth, or has that been the handover? Uh, I mean, I guess in big international stars, that's your handover, but. Um, so Hoags and Strop, of course, John Cornell, the great John Cornell, who was uh, both Hoags's comedic partner but also his business partner and it ended up buying the top pub up here and it got sold recently. Not he'd sold it previously, but it got sold recently. It's, I think it's the most expensive pub in Australia. It was like $110 million or something like that. And um, uh, so they were definitely big celebrities up here. Um I mean, there's a lot of ex-musos. Yes. Well, not ex-musos, like older musos who've... Um, so Bernard Fanning, Cram from Spider-Bait, um, Pete Murray, you know, that sort of vibe. There's a lot of musos in the hills, I think. Yeah, but it feels like... I mean, I've got a lot of friends who live in Byron and it felt like when Hemsworth arrived, like they had their new unofficial mayor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that... I mean, he's proper Hollywood royalty in Australia. Like, you know, he's a huge international star. And, oh, my God, he's angry about this conversation. <laughs> that that thunder was massive. So, um, okay, uh, yeah, he's... I think that... Is there, like, because it wouldn't have been the same if, say, Kate Blanchett had moved to Byron Bay, would it? Like, is there another star? No, if Nicole Kidman... It- had moved to Byron Bay. It's because his personality and, you know, he's a surfy guy. He arrived in the perfect town for his personality, his image, the stuff he seems to like to do in his spare time. You know, health, fitness, surfing, being an Aussie bloke. Like, that is Byron Bay. And he also was wearing, like, you remember he always would wear, like, friendship bands and, you know, he likes a little bit of jewellery here and there. He was prototypical Byron before Byron became Byron. Yeah, I reckon he was not wearing shoes to the shops in other places. Yeah. I don't think he got to Byron Bay and threw his shoes in the ocean. I think he looks... When you see those photos of him walking the streets of Byron with no shoes on, he looks like a man who spent some time outdoors without his shoes on. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth is a dude who's very comfortable eating in a restaurant without a shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in fact, he's, he's much more uncomfortable when he has to wear a shirt to a restaurant. It itches him all night. He can't wait to get home and rip off his shirt. If if he... Do you think... If you look like Chris Hemsworth, like if you had that body, how often would you wear a shirt, do you think, during a week? Like you're not a week where you're not working, you have no engagements, you're just at home, you know, not necessarily like a hot summer's day, but just like a nice summer's day. You're going to just do errands, hang out at the house, maybe take a walk on the beach. Do you ever wear a shirt? I don't ever wear clothes because all I'm looking to do in that situation is distract from my face. Because can you imagine my weird face on Chris Hemsworth's body? Like, it would look like I just photoshopped it on as a joke. It would look so out of place. Like, it would not matter how good my body was. In fact, it would look worse for me to have a really good body. Like, if you saw me at the beach now and, like, you you came up to visit and it turned out during quarantine I'd just been doing the Body by Chris Hemsworth workout every day and I just suddenly, when I took my shirt off, I looked like Chris Hemsworth, that would look weird, right? Well... Have you been doing your DDP? DDP yoga? No, you were right. I, I don't like Diamond Dallas Page. Well, not, I don't like him. I can't. You just couldn't. I cannot could, do that. You, that was hard you work. You just couldn't get past the wrestling aspect, could you? The, 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 the plastic surgery and the, and, the, and the wrestling attitude. My thing is I've been doing um, Adrian, you know, the one that everybody likes, Yoga by Adrian or whatever her name is, the YouTube sort of no, sensation that? one. But just... Oh, do you not know this? No. So there's, this, it became, she was already very popular. She already had like 5 million subscribers or something, but she's on YouTube and she does these free yoga tutorials and her name's Adrian or Adrian. And um, she's great. I can see why people like her. She has like a hippie vibe, but not too hippie. Um, and she's very much about, you know, there's a whole range of different courses and whatever. But the thing is that, we, so Amy and I have been trying to do it together and the problem is finding something that, like, because she's, 
you know, very flexible and I am not flexible at all. So trying to find something that I can do any of <laughs> that is also okay for her has been hard to do because most of the things it's like sit on the ground and I'm like, that's the first thing. It'd be like sit on the ground. Can't I'm like, that. can't do that. <laughs> okay, I guess this one's over. That's why you should do the Diamond Dallas page because doesn't he? He works with kind of people with like chronic injuries and stuff. It's specifically designed for people like you. You should give it a go. I want you to do it. Do- well, I mean, I would love if I could by the age of fifty touch my toes. That would be the most amazing thing I reckon. Yeah, I think. Look, if I what if would there be a would there be a wrestler besides a rock? We're not going to do another episode about the rock. Would there be a wrestler besides DDP? If it was an, as someone else. Could you name a wrestler that you'd be comfortable doing their yoga program? Doing their yoga program. Um, Sergeant Swap. Uh, what about... <laughs> well, I was going to say Rey Mysterio for some reason. I'm not even really sure why. But he was just the first person that came into my head. I was like, who's flexible? Who looks Who looks like he's really yeah, flexible? He Rey Mysterio. He's very athletic. And he can do all those tricks and stuff. Like, he's definitely, I mean, I, I just, but I just yeah. get an image of you wearing one of those luchador masks. Like, Amy just comes out. She's like, I don't know, Will's spending an awful lot of time in the office. What's she doing? She just gets down, opens the door, sees you standing there in your shorts with a luchador mask on. She's like, just closes the door quietly. And with my, with my Lululemon and my Lulu luchador. <laughs> You just see her close the door. You hear her walk up the stairs. You hear her get the keys. You hear her get the car. The car drives off. Last year I ever saw of it. Um, I, I would like to be fitter, but I can't ever imagine being Chris. Like, I mean, I just don't think I'm physically capable of being Chris Hemsworth fit, but also, like, why would I? Why? What What would that? What would be the purpose of being as fit as Chris Hemsworth in my life. Like, it'd be great if I could, magic wand. If, like, if someone just came and said, you know, here's this pill, take this, and you're as fit as Chris Hemsworth, of course you would do it. But, like, in a practical sense in my life, what value... Uh, um, I, I, well, definitely there's any- value in being fitter, but is there value in me being as fit as Chris Hemsworth? Uh, well, I guess it would depend on... So, okay, just say magic wand, and you don't necessarily have to have his physique, but you have all his physical, physical abilities, his strength, his speed, or his mm-hmm. balance, whatever... Would you be tempted to learn how to surf? I mean, I'd love to learn how to surf, but I don't have to be as fit as Chris Hemsworth to learn how to surf, right? Like, I would love to be fit enough to learn how to surf. I think you have to be pretty fit to surf. I don't think you have to be that fit to learn to surf. Doesn't surfing itself make you fit? Isn't that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you... But why are you... If I'm giving you the power of Chris Hemsworth, why are you saying you don't need all of it? And you need a little bit. Oh, no, I... I'm saying if you get it, absolutely. If you could magic wand and just have it, of course you would take it. But what I'm saying is for the hours it would take, if you're Chris Hemsworth and you're working out four hours a day, like I interviewed him immediately after he did Mm. the first Thor movie and he talked about the idea that he had to wake up every three hours or four hours to, you know, have a massive meal and go back to sleep because that was like, you know, to get his body in the shape that it was in. It was basically a full-time job. Like for me, that's wasted hours of the day. For him, Mm. that's his job. He's literally doing it because that's what he's getting paid to do. But for anybody else who's not getting paid to do that, isn't like, you know, working out four hours a day more than you need. Wouldn't it be better to just work out 45 minutes or whatever and then use the rest to read a book? But he's not working out like that all the time. That was for a specific role and a specific body type. I'm sure in between movies and stuff, he's not going to the gym, you know, four hours a day. He's probably going like half an hour a day or an hour a day or whatever. But would you... All right, how about this? If you were just... You were in Chris Hemsworth's body for 24 hours, you can't go anywhere near his yeah. wife. <laughs> but you, okay, well, I wouldn't anyway. <laughs> what would you do? Like, you're in his body. You can do what Chris Hemsworth can do. Let's not go into, you know, uh, defaming him or anything, but you've got his body. Like, what's the first thing you could do if you had that kind of level of fitness and flexibility and stuff? Well, I think that I would go surfing. Like, do I have his ability? I think there'd be muscle memory. If I'm in his body, yep. there'd be muscle memory. So I'd be able to surf. Maybe not as Imagine well as the actual Chris Hemsworth can surf. But there's not. <laughs> and you drown Chris Hemsworth. The body swap ends after 24 hours and the nation's in mourning because you murdered Chris Hemsworth, assuming that just because you're inside his body, you also got his muscle memory. The genie appears to you and says, what the fuck are you doing? 
I said I could put you on his body. I didn't I say know. you'd have his abilities. That's why I got the full insurance. That's why I ticked all the boxes. I paid a little extra for the full Hemsworth insurance. You said I could bring it back broken. <laughs> the genie's like, I wish I had never made that an option. People could sign insurance. I'm fucking, I'm going to be out of the genie business. You're going to ruin me. Um, yeah, I go surfing, definitely. Then I would eat a lot. Yeah. You know, as in just like heroic amount of food, like rocks cheat day style yeah. eating, you know, because, you know, you'd be able to do that. So I would eat a lot of food. And then um, what would I do? You used okay, to love, so ru- used to love ru- running. Would you go for a big run on Tallow's Beach or something? Okay. I, I mean, a run and a surf, maybe just do like a, yeah. So I just like, you know, run up the beach, you know, do a bit of surfing. Um, I would eat a whole lot of food. And then I've got to be honest with you. I think that what I would do is I would go, let's try a whole bunch of different drugs. Because <laughs> like the thing about like, you know, trying a whole bunch of different drugs is normally you're like, oh, well, maybe this will kill me, right? But it's not going to kill him. He'll, he'll be fine. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like he'll be... Again, the genie appears and it's like, what are you doing? I gave you Chris Hemsworth's body. I didn't say you could take as many drugs as you wanted. He's a normal human. You just fucking killed Chris Hemsworth. Again, the nation's in mourning. All right, you got one more wish, Will. Do not kill Chris Hemsworth. Um, what is my final thing that I want to do as Chris Hemsworth? So, um, oh, you know what? It's probably actually... Um, I probably would actually, you know, maybe go to the football or something like that and, you know, take advantage of the celebrity, go to the football. But also because, you know, with my hips, I find it a bit uncomfortable to sit at things like the football for an extended period of time. So the idea of actually going, like being in a corporate box at like, you know, at a football game that I like, but also with my hips not hurting for an entire football game so that I could then go out with my mates and try all the different drugs. Sorry, (laughs) I, I did it again. Killed Chris Hemsworth. Do you reckon it's a Freaky Friday situation where Chris Hemsworth's in your body for that same period of time? Oh, and what does he do? Poor guy. All the drugs. <laughs> cry, cry, absolutely cry. <laughs> Probably just immediately feels high and doesn't know why because there's still some residue left in the body. <laughs> Um, all right, let's uh, read some letters and then we'll get out of here. Again, uh, if this has been a noisy podcast, I apologize. They're putting in speed bumps um, outside my office, which uh, will help in the long run, Will. It'll help in the long run. Just one night of my baby not sleeping. Fantastic. Uh, this is from Alison. Hey, Tofop. I'm a longtime listener and I started listening in about episode five. I recently started listening again, and I'm in the middle of a binge of listening to about 12 months' worth of the podcast. I don't really know much about The Matrix, but recently I've come up with a theory. One day, while I was at a friend's place, we were trolling through Netflix and came across a movie starring Keanu Reeves. Thinking we couldn't go wrong, we started to watch a movie called Knock Knock. Not too far into the movie, we realized something was not right. A quick Google search brought up the genre of the movie, which was erotic thriller. We're essentially watching a porno. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Uh, Erotic thriller is essentially pornos. Basic instinct, is that a porno? I mean, at the time, it felt pretty porno. But no, I don't think so. They're like porno in the same way as Jackie Collins... but also in the same way as Jackie Collins' books are porno or whatever. Like, they're sexual in Erotica. nature, but they're not porno. Erotica. And now, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but judging by the genre, I think you could guess what happens. Uh, I believe the plot of this film, from seeing the trailer, is that Keanu plays a man who... Two stranded... Two uh, young, beautiful young women stranded during a storm asked to stay at his place and then have sex with him and then turn the tables on him and it becomes a game of cat and mouse, I believe. Now, um, I recommend you read through the plot in Wikipedia because I don't know if I could bring myself to watch it. Uh, maybe another time. After thinking about it for a while, I truly believe that this must be a matrix simulation because otherwise I see no point to this movie at all. My only other theory is that Keanu had run out of cash in 2015. Thanks to the last, I'm really enjoying listening to you guys again and quite often get caught 
laughing out loud in public. I'm also a bit devastated that I've missed out on Willegal, the comedy festival, hoping you'll bring it back down to Hobart one day after all this craziness. Alison. Well, I, I actually have the background for that show. Like when we came back from our Skype call, I put up the Willegal background as my background on Skype. So I will bring it back at some stage. Um, at Well, you know, when we're back actually doing shows. Now, the, the, here's the thing. Keanu was not out of money in 2015 because of, and I will say this to our letter writer, a little movie trilogy called The Matrix. You hadn't heard of it, but it turns out it was quite popular. So Keanu never really has to work again. He's doing fine. So he has done this on purpose. That's the first thing that we can say. He has done it on purpose. So knock, knock. Did he think that it was like a comedy, you know, perhaps based on the, you know, the oldest joke there is, the knock, knock, who's there? Maybe you thought it was a, a modern retelling no. of the oldest joke there was. Uh, this is from Andrew. Hey, Will, perhaps you should try Pilates, a shameless plug for my sister-in-law and who's given us a website, uh, powerhousepilates.com.au. Then you can sit on your lawnmower properly. You've got a good show too. Cheers, Andrew. Pilates, Will, has someone suggested that to you? Can you do Pilates? I've tried Pilates, but I can't uh, get, I can't uh, bend enough to use the machines and stuff properly. So I have attempted Pilates, but it has been unsuccessful. What if Rey Mysterio was to bring out a Pilates video. Well, I mean, again, like, you know, a lot of it springs and stuff, and he was so good around the ropes and the springs. I, I, again, I would trust it. <laughs> this is from uh, Tony, two Colin Fop. Last week I was made to make a buttermilk pancakes for my daughter's homeschooling projects. I'd be lying if I said they were a success, but they were edible. So when I heard Charlie banging on about his banana oats pancakes, I thought I'd give them a go to rebuild their belief in my cooking skills. I have to say I'm officially on Team Ando. Pancakes of flour, milk, and eggs. Anything with fucking oats and fucking bananas is a fucking half a sloppy biscuit cake hybrid. Good thing I didn't tell my kids they were supposed to be pancakes. I would have been mercilessly mocked. The below was a photo of this pile of dog shit. <laughs> it's the only one that looked worthy of a photo. <laughs> oh, fuck it. The photo wouldn't paste. Love the show. Demo. <laughs> or demo. Uh, okay. Well, well, not a fan of the pancakes, the banana cakes. I uh, won't hold it against you, but just you know, try and be a bit more open-minded in the future. And it sounds like you can do with some anger management. I made banana bread tonight before our podcast. I made some banana Will, bread because we had some. Bread is just years. flour and salt and whatever goes into <laughs> to bread. Banana bread is not banana. Is not bread. Will call it something else. Um, well, uh, no, I think it is bread because there's flour and like you, you do use flour. It's it's bread that you make out of. <laughs> bananas and i put some walnuts and pecans oh, in there as well but um speaking of diet restriction uh you know um creations mm. so uh our friends ruth and vaughn were um up uh, on holiday and we went and saw them yesterday and it was ruth's birthday and ruth is currently vegan gluten-free and dairy-free and so amy decided that she wanted to make her a birthday cake you know she wouldn't be able to buy one. We would make her a birthday cake. And it turns out that what Amy said when she said she wanted to do it was she wanted me to do it. So I spent Saturday night and some of Sunday morning trying to construct a gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, like chocolate raspberry cake. And look, she pretended that she liked it a lot, but I tried it and it was disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Last letter is from M. Everyone relax, customer service. Hello, I recently had two situations where the tagline, everyone relax, was really needed. Firstly, I rang my telco to query what looked like two bills for the same service and ended up coaching the customer service guy so that he could calm down. Literally, I was telling him to stop, think and breathe. The second was a letter from the council. We have been asked to pay a registration fee for a pool that we don't have. And after a lengthy time on hold, I was asked to deregister the pool that we don't have um, going, by going online. Calling the council officers with the reference numbers wasn't going to be enough. I was wondering whether you two could both apply your creativity to the worst customer service situations. Cheers. Um, I Just recently, uh, Jeremy and I, when we were up in Queensland, I was driving a rental car and I got pinged. I think I was a little over the speed limit. Um, but the car was hired in her name, and so she got sent the fine. So she said, can you nominate, because I don't want to lose my points. 
I said, yeah, no problem. It was the most difficult process to get nominated, especially during COVID. Like, firstly, I went to do it online, but because I'm not a Queensland, registered in Queensland, I had to have a Queensland license, couldn't do it. So then I called them. They said, well, you have to get it in, uh, you have to get the stat deck uh, witnessed by a justice of the peace. And I was like, well, but this was during like lockdown. I was like, I, I can't, like I've got to stay at home. It would be, uh, it would be irresponsible for me to do that. And they were like, well, uh, you can go to a police station. And I'm just like, I don't think, can you just give me an extension? They made me jump through so many hoops. Finally got it done by making my wife uh, put on a mask and go to a police station and get it witnessed. But what I also love is that you're admitting to and taking responsibility for the crime. Like, it's not like you're the person trying to get out of anything. I'm asking like, to pay they shouldn't, the fine. Right. There's, you know, you're going, it, it were me, here's some money from me. And they're like, oh, not so quick, mister. You're going to have to go through a few hoops to give us money and take responsibility for something you did. <laughs> have you had a bad customer service experience recently? Uh, here's what I will actually say is that, um, so uh, it's ironic tonight because the internet has been in and out here. But as you know, um, I, I've, I had uh, trouble getting my internet connected the first couple of weeks and it was because um, I had transferred it from Melbourne to up here and I'd just done the Telstra tra transfer, you know, like the sort of your moving house, just transfer your service, you have it one house to another house sort of thing, which I thought was the easiest thing to do. Turns out that uh, that was not the easiest thing to do because firstly, during a pandemic, they won't answer their phones. They won't, won't take any calls about the internet, so you had to do it all online. Uh -huh. So I tried that, was not getting any response. So then I have to, um, I go onto Twitter and I just send them a direct message. And I ask very politely, but I kind of explain the situation. And um, I explained that it actually got quite urgent because my grandmother had died and because, uh, we, you know, we were trying to do something, you know, a family hookup, uh, you know, of that because we couldn't travel. And they were all very lovely. Like the, mm. the Telstra Twitter people, the people who run their Twitter account were just fantastic and tried their best and told me that I was booked into the process and all these sort of things. And then for a couple of weeks, I just didn't hear anything again. And so I rang, uh, got in touch with this local mob up here uh, who literally uh, answered the phone when I rang them and then just came up the next day and fixed my internet. And I've got to say so far, I know this is a very, I'm only, I've only been here a couple of months, but the difference between customer service in the city and the country, I had forgotten how stark it is. Like the friendliness of people around here, you know, like you go into every shop and everyone's friendly and everyone's sort of interested in your life and everyone really genuinely wants to help you. And like we were in a shop in Mullumbimby the other day, like a clothes shop. And we were talking to the woman there because they'd opened this shop like literally before everything went into lockdown. So they'd just finally been able to ba basically officially open the shop after all this time. And, you know, we were commiserating with her about how hard that must have been. And then she's like, oh, my friend's trying to choose glasses. So she puts her friend on FaceTime. And then suddenly all three of us are standing in this shop trying to help her friend choose which glasses suit her face. And I know... It was just delightful. It was one of those things where you're just like, oh, this is nice. Like this is this is a fun, you know, customer service experience. So I've been having a, quite a great deal of, of love for, you know, I have a local shop now and that's where our mail is. You know, we have a PO box and it's at the local shop. So it's that classic old country thing where you go into the one shop in town that has everything in the shop and then you go in and you buy your milk and you buy your wine and you, yeah. you get your mail handed over by the people who work there. It's I'm loving it. You're basically living the plot of every successful Australian drama series. <laughs> right. Totally. And I can see why people love these stories so much now. Small country towns are ideal and delightful. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. Uh, it's been a very difficult episode. Uh, hopefully, Mike yes. can clean that up without too much difficulty. Uh, we'll make the plugs quick. Uh, everyone, go to redbubble.com uh, uh, slash people slash Mr. Foz to buy some great Tofot merch. Uh, Foz emailed Will and I last week, a bit uh, despondent. His uh, doctor T-shirt, I'm a doctor, uh, Australia's number one medical podcast T-shirt, as modelled by uh, alleged doctor, Dr. Phil. Uh, you can find it online. Um, has not been moving as fast as we'd like. Uh, so well, when he did, emailed us, it had sold zero T-shirts when he emailed us originally. Now, <laughs> I thought he was a bit quick to be despondent because it had literally only been up there for a few days. So, A, 
it would have required people checking the website every day to notice that it was up there. It had only been a couple of days since we'd done a plug for it on the podcast. It is a t-shirt that is specifically for doctors. And we are currently in the middle of a global pandemic where, I don't know if you've noticed, Foz, some doctors have got some other shit on their mind right now. They're not logging on from their 18 hours working on the fucking front lines of a pandemic and going, you know what will take my mind off this? Getting on to Redbubble and seeing if there's any T-shirts specifically designed for me. Well, good for those doctors that there's lots of other T-shirts that they can buy and that will take their mind off the brilliant work that they're doing. <clears throat> there's posters, there's mugs, heaps of great stuff. Um, also, uh, I am in negotiations, Will, with the good people at Redbubble to organize a TOEFOP discount for our listeners, exclusive discount for our listeners. So more right. news on that soon. Uh, I'll have to speak to Foz about it just to make sure that they're not cutting, they're not cutting, they're cutting out of their profits, not out of his, or maybe they split them. I don't know. Anyway, we'll work it out. Uh, we can also go to our YouTube channel. We've got videos up there. You can become a patron, a Patreon subscriber. What do you say? Do you become a patron of Patreon? Do you become a Patreon subscriber? What's the correct definition? You become a patron, I believe. Yes. You are a patron of this podcast. You can become a patron of this little conversation that has been happening now for, well, it's the first today. We are literally a month away from our, I think it's July the 2nd is right. 10 years of TOEFOP, isn't it? So we're, we're a month away from doing this little show for 10 years. Oh my God. And uh, that is weird. Especially considering that it's been doing it for 10 years and I still do not have a soundproof area to record in that I have to have a sound of a jackhammer. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck is this two-bit outfit? Seriously. I mean, literally two-bit outfit. Yes, it's 10 years later. Different technical problems, but still technical <laughs> problems. It's the old toe fop you love. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs> This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.